Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. I'm a psychiatrist in private practice and faculty member at the University of Virginia. Each week, my guests and I talk about meaningful coincidences, synchronicity, and serendipity. We discuss synchronicity from its many perspectives, spiritual, practical, and statistical. Why? To increase your connection to coincidences so that you can benefit from coincidence awareness in your daily life. I have written a book also called Connecting with Coincidence. Put the phrase, connecting with coincidence, in your web browser to find my book, Psychology Today blog, my website, and my social media sites. If you want to know how sensitive you are to coincidences, go to my website to take the Weird Coincidence Survey. That is, go to Connecting with Coincidence. Our guest today is Juliet Trail. Juliet is the Managing Director of the University of Virginia Contemplative Science Center in Charlottesville, Virginia. She helps a wide variety of efforts that span 11 schools at UVA and involve research, learning, and practice. She has a particular focus on faculty engagement programs that help connect faculty and classrooms with contemplative and mindfulness teachings. And she teaches the class Mindfulness and Compassion, living fully, personally, and professionally each spring. And one of the questions I'll have for Juliet is that being aware of coincidences is part, I think, of mindful living. Juliet is actively involved with music. Music is an active passion of her life, and she's lead singer of a Charlottesville band called Phoenix Noir, and boy, can she sing. She is also has a duo band with her husband, Jeremy Johnson, called Us, a great name for the two of them. <laughs> Juliet was trained in rites of passage work involving vision quests following the Lakota Sioux tradition and continues today to walk a path of integrating the arts, the sciences, and contemplative traditions. Welcome to the show, Juliet. Thank you very much. That makes uh, me sound so official. <laughs> well, you are. I mean, that's a <laughs> you're doing a lot over there, but when you're in the middle of it at UVA doing all that organizing, uh, it just seems like a job. But you're doing a lot, and you're singing, and your rites of passage, vision quests, 
doing yep. a lot. You're doing a lot. Thank you. Now, in looking, you're welcome. And looking, and just looking at uh, your uh, bio, as uh, as I just described you, uh, I, the mindfulness and compassion, living fully, personally, and professionally, part of what uh, coincidences involve is being self-aware and aware of self in one's environment. And mindfulness is a way of becoming aware of one's thinking, one's feelings, one's inner states, and can be a way of connecting those inner states with what goes on around the person. So mindfulness, as other people have described, can be uh, one of the ways to exercise the muscle, the mental muscle of coincidence awareness. What, what do you think of that? Yeah, I think it would definitely be connected. Um, sometimes scientists that are tr trying to study mindfulness now identify two different states of the brain in terms of its activity levels and how things are connecting and the speed at which things are connecting. And they call it mind wandering, which is our normal sort of unfocused scattered thought that bounces from thing to thing. And they contrast it with a mindful state, which they call focused attention. And there's some really interesting studies looking at a very, very distinct patterns that can be mapped with any of the ways that we scan and analyze the brain to identify without someone needing to tell us. Um, someone can look at your brain scan and say, oh, you're in mind wandering right now. And you're gonna say, oh, what? I know I was trying to focus, but nope, your mind has wandered. We can see the difference. So there's something very specific going on in mindfulness, which we often begin by training with silent meditations that turn the senses inward. And it's learning to train the mind to calm down and to switch gears from mind-wandering state to focused attention. And I think where we have more focused attention brought to our our conscious life, even as we're in our life, interacting, moving around and having things occur, we can begin to attend better and approach that focused awareness, regardless of whether or not we're doing something that we would think of as a contemplative practice. So just in day-to-day -day life, you become, I think, better at not being so distracted in the mind-wandering state that you miss things that are interesting or significant and that may hold synchronicity or coincidence. Yeah, and uh, that's good. And the, and the way in which the focused attention can operate is kind of like mind wandering into the environment and then focusing yes. and then connection, connecting what the mind finds in the environment with something going on internally. Yes, yeah. And that becomes a way of, that, that is the process of coincidence uh, activity uh, I, I do it all the time so it's it's and I and sometimes it, I do maybe too much like I was in Virginia Beach um, this past weekend and I had trouble with the shower um, at Virginia in, in my hotel room it wasn't turning hot enough and at the same time the same weekend uh, yeah this past weekend um, a plumber friend of mine was putting a new uh, uh, faucet into my shower and mm. and I, I it's not it's not a big deal about anything, but it's just the kind of uh, coincidence finding that my mind has gotten to be doing. And I wonder what, how that relates to um, what you're describing about uh, contemplative meditation practices. I think it would be really interesting to get someone who is quite expert as you are at noticing, and be able to do, um, you know, some of these neural scans and things to actually capture it. Um, it may be that the state of, of 
recognition or awareness of coincidence looks almost like the state of a heightened focused awareness in meditation. Um, they seem related to me, but I, you know, I don't, I'm not aware of any data on that yet. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm, I, I've, yeah. you're probably, it's probably first time maybe yeah. you, you even ran across this possibility. Um, the mind wandering uh, is can be uh, useful because uh, you can you can run into stuff when you're wandering. Yeah. And then you can focus. So the the wandering and the focusing seem to me to be uh, two elements that can be uh, useful uh, when when you learn how to use learn how to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's part of how um, the brain sifts through all of the experiences that are happening, past, present, and future. And if we only had focused attention, we wouldn't actually cast out into past or future to protect ourselves or prevent old patterns from occurring that are negative or to be prepared um, for what's to come. So it's, you know, it's adaptive. It's sort of like yin and yang. You need both. Yeah. Um, but the mindfulness training is quite different than common cultural training or educational training in America right now. So it presents a nice compliment to not always be kind of casting the brain out loosely across time and across thought and across emotion um, to let whatever comes come in our thoughts, but instead to kind of cultivate the ability to focus and calm our thoughts and then to attend to something or a small group of things with more depth. I mean, some people actually use medicinal substances, even recreational drugs, to have the capacity to attend to a smaller group of things with a great intensity of experience. It's something that humans have sought for a really long time. I think there's a longing in us to know how to attend deeply with something and not feel so scattered and so easily distracted by our own thoughts or feelings that flit through the mind. Um, so, yeah, it's just I think it's flipping flipping a very important switch. I'm going to ask you for our audience, uh, for you to describe what you just described about where the mind goes, past, present, emotions, um, thoughts. Um, there, there was a, that's a nice description of the general categories that you try that our minds mm -hmm. do, uh, and then then try to be and then you, and very nicely described that we would like very much to be able to focus on aspects and and not focus on other things that the scary thoughts for example that people often entertain and continue to uh, to nurture by paying attention to them uh, to mm -hmm. be able to be able to move them to other move their attention to uh, different emotions and different thought emotion connections uh, so it's what I just like that you're describing the domains of uh, of regular consciousness, the content of various consciousness. Would you just talk some more about those domains? Yeah, sure. Well, it's it's interesting. It's nice that I, I've just launched this week my um, a mindfulness and compassion class. So beginning to speak about this with a group of new students has it fresh in my mind. Um, how we begin to frame this in ways that maybe make sense to someone without a you know that's new to to thinking about it this way. And as you begin to do the mindfulness practice, the mind will still have a lot of distraction. There will be more mind wandering than focused attention that happens. Even though we're sitting still, we're trying to turn our senses inward and we're trying to pay attention to what's happening in the present moment. And what's happening in the mind in any given present moment might be about sensations of the body, 
how we feel and if we're in pain or if we feel good. It might be about emotions, which can be pleasant or unpleasant or neutral in some way. Just kind of, a, um, I feel really blah, I feel kind of apathetic, maybe I'm tired, maybe I'm hungry, I don't know what I need. Like there may be some sort of feeling of, of ennui or concern even about feeling neutral. So we have a whole slew of things that might be coming up for us that are emotion-based. And then we have practical kinds of things that often tie to both physical and emotional experiences. So we may be worrying about something that just happened. Um, oh, I should have said this at this time. And we're still trying to come up with the right thing we should have said in a moment that was either heightened or seemed to get away from us. Um, or we may be worrying about the future. And we spend a lot of time fretting over the past and um, fretting or planning. Um, Julia, we're coming to the, the future. We're coming to the end of this segment. I'm so lost in what you're describing, so <laughs> very much appreciate it. We'll, okay. We'll, we, we will, you're listening to Connecting with Coincidence with your host, Bernie Beitman. We'll be back after a short break. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Gwilda Wiaka's latest book, The Science of Magic, Book of Mysteries, Volume 1, is the first book in a series based on her writings that open every episode of the Science of Magic radio show. Drawing on the subject matter of each guest, and armed with over 40 years' experience in shamanism, 35 years in alternative health, and degrees in psychology and religious studies, Gwilda introduces relevant and leading-edge information that supports spiritual evolution and personal empowerment. Rich with wisdom and inspirational quotes packaged in digestible segments, this is a book that will pull you from cover to cover. It will also serve as a daily inspirational reading for years to come. The Science of Magic Book of Mysteries, Volume 1, is available at our website, tsompublications.com, amazon.com, and wherever fine books are sold. Back in Victorian England, a famous theologian posed a perplexing riddle. Why are the two top personalities in the Bible tagged with the numbers 7 and 11? Academics agree the answer is found in the stunning discovery of a hitherto secret Bible structure explained in a new book called The Genesis Grid. The discovery is so simple that preschool children could illustrate it. Certain claims are hugely controversial and may offend some, but at the Exxon, we've studied this awesome new book and agree with one expert, and I quote, These discoveries appear to be beyond coincidence. So who or what hid this wonderful pattern in the Bible, and what might they do next? 
Find out more, Exxon Nation, and read reviews on www.genesisgrid.co.uk. That's www.genesisgrid.co.uk. Welcome, welcome back to CC with BB, connecting with coincidence, coincidence with Dr. Bernie Beitman. Our ghost, our guest today is <laughs> Juliet Trail, um, managing director at the UVA Contemplative Science Center, and we're broadcasting to you on the X Zone Broadcast Network. So, Juliet, we were talking about contents of the mind, which uh, I think are very, very important uh, in discussing uh, coincidences. And I want to, I want to move our discussion now to how you got interested in coincidences? Ah, um, well, the last thing I would say to tidy up our conversation about contents of the mind is what's interesting and when we start paying attention to the mind is that something that might start as neutral, thinking about we need to plan, will bump up against something that has a resonance or a memory and may be very emotional in nature and even physically painful, that we think of something that's difficult or frightening or scary. And learning how to train ourselves to stay with that and not simply give up that thought and avoid that whole sector of thought or the mind or the self or interaction or possibility um, is part of what mindfulness training can do, helping us attend to difficult or unpleasant sensations without fleeing from them. And I think that relates to being someone who attends also to coincidences and synchronicities, because when you're more open to allowing thoughts to bump into associations that might bring up both physical and emotional um, content or sensations or triggers with them, um, you get to notice more of the positive, which you might say the coincidences are often um, quite positive in nature, and um, and you're more comfortable with the ones that may have a more difficult association that you can hang in there and be present with a negative or unpleasant experience or thought without just simply shutting down. And opening up the mind is kind of that skill set itself. Good. Good. So how did you how how did you get to notice and get involved in thinking about coincidences? I started noticing them, you know, even as a younger person and thinking about us talking together today, I thought about, you know, the times in which I've seemed to magically bump into somebody when I've been traveling around the country, around the world. And um and there they are. And I thought, how could this person possibly be here out of all the places to be in on this entire planet and all the beings on this planet? I'm encountering someone I already know in this really unlikely environment or circumstance. Um, so I know that that's a first like very conscious um, moment for me when I was about 11 or 12, being in Las Vegas, Nevada on a road trip with my family, visiting relatives that lived there. And we're driving down the road on the highway and I look into the car next to me and there's a kid about my age and he looks into the car next to him. There's a kid about his age and our eyes connect. And it's like, oh, there's Scott from my class. And we're riding down the highway. We wave at each other like, hi. And, you know, it's just someone from school. It's from my class. It's someone I know. And we were sort of like traveling together side by side in family station wagons down the highway outside of Las Vegas, Nevada for a few minutes. We weren't in town. We were outside of town somewhere. And it was just sort of traveling along with him for a moment. And then we, we waved to each other. And then our families took different turns and our vacation split off again. So where, I where, think that. Where did, where did you go? Where was this, the town you were coming from? Where did you live at that time? Oh, I lived in Greensboro, North Carolina, all yeah, the way so, across the country. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's what makes it uh, 
less probable. Uh, yes. To, to run into run into that guy um, right there on the highway from almost uh, 2,500 miles away. Uh, exactly. That, there, there, there you are looking at each other. And some of the other stories I think we're going to go to with you uh, have to do with uh, this human GPS capacity that you seem mm -hmm. to have because I, I get really intrigued by the various ways in which people um, uh, get involved with coincidences that there are certain pe people that are drawn to certain kinds of coincidences. Uh, mine have been uh, simulpathity, that is the experience of um, of pain of a loved one at a distance and mm -hmm. human and human GPS. And the stories mm -hmm. you the stories you've told me and we'll go through some of them uh, have to do with you and human GPS. So this may be your um, your predisposition, this uh, your predisposing coincidence type. I think we're, I think I'm starting to see that in various people. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about you as a human GPS uh, kind of coincidence person? Well, I definitely think it it happens in my life, and even people tell me about their own quite freely so it may just be some sort of intuitive skill set somehow and yeah, yeah that's what I um think. you know you and i have talked about the psychosphere that maybe would be like a earth-based collective consciousness place where minds might be connecting even when bodies are not that thoughts are bouncing like radio waves out into um and across our physical domain yes and you know i have also met up with friends that I'm concerned about in a dream and they have dreamed at that same time of meeting up with me and we've checked in. So sometimes when I'm worried about someone, it's as if I would cast out to make sure they're okay. Or I'll have friends call me and I've been thinking of them and meaning to call them and just being a little concerned about what's happening and they'll call and say, I keep thinking of you. I know you need me to call you. So I'm, I'm good or this thing is going on. I'm not so good. Um, so there's, there's dreams and then there's sort of phone calls or communications that come to me that people are like, oh, I know we need to be connecting right now. And it's been very present with me for several days when they say this already, like, oh, I really need to get a hold of so-and-so because it's been too long and I just want to make sure, you know, see how things are going or something. Um, it's not always distressing events, but there are times when I seem to also, as you were saying, the simulpathy, like intuit that people are very stressed out that I care about. Um, and that something may be going on, some sort of conflict or turmoil or something. And I just think I should be there for them. And somehow, either through actually connecting by phone or, or even meeting up with them in a dream, it seems like I, I'm able to relay that I'm there for them and kind of interact and ground our relationship, at least as one source of potential comfort for them with whatever's going on. So those are kind of ancillary to human GPS, which is definitely one that I've thought about more specifically. <laughs> uh, to me, they go together sometimes. Um, yeah. Uh, and I'll tell you, I tell you where, but the just even just wanting to check into some, with someone to see how they are, um, mm -hmm. I, I include that under simulpathy because it's you, you, it's it's pathy, pathy refuse refers to feeling, the feeling yeah. the person ha has. It doesn't have to be always awful or terrible like somebody right. dying or in great pain and so you you're, you're telling me that you you have both capacities the simulpathy one and the human gps one and the way they come together um is uh, these stories that uh, i've collected of of someone showing up someplace um that he needed to be uh because 
a person he cares about is in trouble and he doesn't know how he got there. Uh, he mm -hmm. just knows he had a feeling to go someplace. And it's the GPS part of it is what uh, you describe sometime, and you'll tell us your uh, your your New York Museum story, where you where yeah. you you end up someplace. So so with where you want to be. So you it's a kind of a tracking. You track the person's presence out there, and then you move in a way without knowing how to where that person is. So tell us that story. Yeah, and it actually comes back around to a little sense of simulpathy that that. Um, it, it was needed on both sides, this meeting. So um, it's a very nice story. Um, several years back was the 25th anniversary of the film Labyrinth, which for me as a young child had a big impact on me and I just loved it. And I'd also loved The Dark Crystal. And Labyrinth and The Dark Crystal were joint ventures. They were created and written um, and visualized in a partnership between Jim Henson and Brian Froud. And Brian Froud is a very, very famous um, illustrator who has written um, lots of books on fairies and gnomes and sort of the beings from another realm that can touch upon and perhaps even be seen or interact with people in our realm, which is quite um, part of the superstitious or conventions in, in England where he lives. So Brian Froud lives permanently in England. Jim Henson passed away when I was in high school, the very early 90s. And um, Brian would be the only person who was the creator of both Dark Crystal and Labyrinth I might ever get to meet. And he is um, probably my very favorite artist still living at this time in our lives. And he was coming to New York from England with his wife and son, who both helped with the film, to be interviewed during by the Museum of the Moving Image, which is a film museum in Queens, outside of New York, and outside of Manhattan. And they would be with Brian Henson, who's Jim Henson's son, who also helped especially with the puppetry and was the voice and the puppeteer of Hoggle. And so we go to, I came from Virginia in a whirlwind weekend trip. I had to take a six and a half hour bus ride up on Saturday morning to see the screening at the Museum of Moving Image on Saturday night. And then I would have to catch the bus again on Sunday at five o'clock to do another seven hours back um, and be back at work on Monday. So it was a very quick trip. I was in New York just a little more than 24 hours to see this, this screening. And the screening had the potential for meeting him in person, which I was incredibly excited about. I really wanted to meet and interact with Brian Froud. And um, then at the screening, um, things went awry. One of the couples present with my host um, and good friend, Laura Lee, um, there was a couple there fighting and a boyfriend stormed off and the group became stressed and we ended up sitting kind of scattered and not where I wanted to sit. And even though I'd been the first person in line, I ended up getting pulled from the line at the last second. And not being able to be close to the panelists after the film to feel that sense of connection or interaction. And then I learned after the movie that we'd already been booked by others to immediately leave the museum and go to something else to support somebody else's friend doing music. And so I didn't get a chance to speak with them afterwards. And I really felt very frustrated. It was sort of a spiraling, out-of-control series of events. <laughs> and um, I was longing to meet him. The next day, I decided to console myself by going to the Met Museum to just commune with some art. The Met the Metropolitan, the Metropolitan Museum, Museum of, Art of Art in Manhattan. Art. Yeah, so um, my I traveled into Manhattan because I'd been staying outside in um, in Brooklyn. Traveled into the Metropolitan Museum in Manhattan, was wandering around for a couple of hours with my friend and host, Laura Lee. And we needed to leave to um, catch transportation down to where I would catch the bus. Um, and we didn't want to leave it to the last minute. So we started to walk towards the exit and I sort of felt back into this beautiful little lemon yellow Spanish gallery that was uh, out towards the exit path we were taking. Uh, we're, we're, we're coming to the end of this segment. So I want to okay, stop with we'll the, the, le the lemon yellow. 
Uh, <laughs> you're listening to Connecting with Coincidence with your host, Bernie Beitman, on the X-Zone Broadcast Network and our guest, Juliet Trail. Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. The scientist and the mystic have been on an age-old, relentless search with one thing in common. They seek truth. Their paths converge in the 40,000-year-old practice of shamanism, an ancient science delving to the quantum level of life, facilitating healing, manifestation, and evolution. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, the founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Arts School, a unique Colorado State-certified occupational school, training shamanic practitioners and teachers. We also provide classes for empowering personal lives through shamanism. Our certification classes are in week-long segments, enabling international participation, and online classes and long-distance shamanic healing sessions are available. Come discover the science of magic in the limitless world of shamanism. www.findyourpathhome.com Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God, and finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Welcome back to CC with BB, connecting with coincidence, and our host and our guest Juliet Trail. Juliet, we were last 
talking with you. We are, we are last walking with you in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, looking at a, a lemon yellow room, and uh, you were looking for something uh, you didn't know Brian Frav you got there somehow for some reason and continue yes so yeah this this little gallery beckoned to me it was like it winked at me flirting like come this way and so I said hey could, Laura could, Lee, we still could have you just could you describe that that feeling beckoning to you winking to you that's so cool yeah, you know, I was I walked by, I passed the door. There was something about the door that was like, You're supposed to come this way. And I and I said, Huh. And I stopped. I said, Hey Laura Lee, we have time. We're not in a rush yet. Let's let's go to one more um gallery. I want to look in here. And it was just a weird feeling. It was like, you know, something tapping you on the shoulder and being like, Come this way. Because I, I had actually walked past it and not entered it. I stopped, caught my friend and said, We still have time. Let's go, let's go this way. And she said, Okay, sure, yeah. Um so it was just, I don't know, it was a kind of intuitive feeling that's, of that's, just being attracted to something. That's the feeling I want our listeners to pay attention to. That, yeah. little, that little nod, that little wink, that little finger thing saying, coming over here. Because uh, mm -hmm. go this way instead of that. There's so many stories I have of people mm -hmm. tuning into that where a, a husband and wife are, are going to rent a, a, buy a house they don't like. And he takes the wrong way going back home. And there's somebody putting a sign out uh, for a house that they actually bought right when they go by because that was the right house for them. Yep. And he had a feeling of going the wrong way and you had this feeling of not necessarily yeah. going the wrong way but taking this way and that's really cool and that's that's part of the training of, of coincidence awareness is to be able to tune in to that kind of feeling and that you did that mm -hmm. you did you you chose to follow that little wink that little nod that little urge that little pull yeah so, so yeah, so I, I walked into the gallery, and there were multiple entrances to this gallery. And from across the opposite entrance, immediately just after I've walked in, in walks Brian Froud by himself, not with an entourage, not with a crowd, not having to wait in line to get a signature in 30 seconds, but just sauntering, you know, with all the time to just be there. And and Laura Lee and I slowly, I said, Laura Lee, that's Brian Froud, Brian Froud, Brian Froud, because I was very excited. And so we, we, we walked over trying to be calm, and we said, Hello, you're Brian Froud, right? He said, yes, I am. And we ended up speaking with him for about 45 minutes and getting really lost in a, a really deeply interactive and connected conversation. And it turned out that he was feeling a sense of despondency and feeling kind of adrift at that moment in New York. And he'd been trying to sort of console himself with art as well because he was not sure who he was creating for. He wasn't feeling like he was really creating for any particular audience. And Laura Lee and I we're literally jumping up and down and we're like, no, we're your audience. And she told him about an entire warehouse installation workshop where she trained all the young artists to create an enchanted forest in New York, in this old warehouse, all inspired by his work. And it's covered in the media and there are pictures online that he could go see how he had inspired her to train other artists and set designers to build a, a Brian Froud like forest in a warehouse in New York for a party event. And I, at the time, um, had a friend cat sitting for me back in Charlottesville, Virginia, where I lived, staying at my house and taking care of my cats, who had um, a piece of work from Brian Froud's Dark Crystal, his design of the universe um, that he drew in that in that film, tattooed on his entire back. And he had borrowed <laughs> my, my copy of a huge coffee table Brian Froud book to get 
that piece to the tattoo artist. And he had just recently gotten it done, and we had connected over how much we both love Brian Froud, this friend and I who was my cat sitter. So right before I left, I said, I might get to talk to Brian Froud. May I take a photograph of your entire back to show him how much your work means to all of us, that you have tattooed a piece of his art across your entire back from the nape of his neck to the top of his, to the you know waistband of his pants. His whole back is this work. And so I was able to bring out the phone and go, look, my friend has gotten his whole back turned into one of your pieces of art. Your work completely matters. There are tons of people who find you incredibly inspiring. And we are your audience. We are here. You are not creating for nothing. We are really receiving this. And it was incredibly valuable and reassuring to him. I mean, I think we all teared up and, um, you know, it just mon- there were multiple moments in that conversation that felt very magical, but it was so special to be able to give him something and not feel that I had only taken something from him because I wanted to meet a hero of mine, but actually that he had needed me as much as I needed him in that moment. He needed to know how much his work meant to some of us. Oh, that is beautiful. And it, and it illustrates um, another very, very important idea in coincidence studies. Uh, we tend to be self-involved in, the, in our coincidences. They tend to be like, look what happened to me. I ran into this person and it was really amazing. We, it's important mm. to do just what you're describing is to see what this coincidence experience was like for the other person. Mm-hmm. And and you have so beautifully described that um, uh, about how important it was for Brian Froud to run into you, and to mm-hmm. and get the feedback that he needed to know that there was an audience out there, and that that audience really loves what he does. Mm-hmm. It, and you're you're a singer. You like to know that people are listening yeah. to your songs. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, it, it. Some sometimes you just think like you're just howling at the wind and yep. hoping that somebody's not talking out there and listening, but maybe even affected by it. I had one something like that when I got an email from somebody in Australia telling me, Doctor Biteman. You're not correct when you said uh, said on your radio program that you were the you had the only radio show on synchronicity in the world. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> there, how nice there, to be corrected on that. How nice, how nice <laughs> to be corrected. And, <laughs> and there's, there's this guy named Chris Mackey. Uh, who's uh, on a radio show in Australia, and they've been doing this for a while, and so mm. you're not you're not the only one. And in fact, they made fun of the fact on the radio show that you uh, have said that you have the only synchronicity radio show in the world. So he sent me the link, and it was really <laughs> fun to hear. There's three people on the program. Brian, uh, mm. uh, Chris Mackey comes in, and there's two hosts that have been there for a while. And wow, we've got this program. It was such a compliment to hear Mm -hmm. hear people criticizing me for that but there's no way for me to know that there are other shows unless somebody tells me and that's that's what this guy did for me and that's what you did for brian froud and this and this guy recommended that chris mackey be on my radio show and i'd already arranged for that so he and i'll get a few laughs about uh that also but this the feedback that you gave brian froud is invaluable to this guy Mm -hmm. And so you are able to represent not only your experience, but his experience. And when mm-hmm. people have, conver- have coincidences like this, it's really important to get out of your own mind and see the experience of the other person, which is what you just provided for us. Mm-hmm. That's, very, that's very good. That's very good. Um, 
when uh, you've had other GPS-like experiences, um, and in the time remaining, which which is uh, just about um, about three minute about uh, um, three minutes in this segment, um, mm -hmm. the could you talk a bit about how um, you think this works? You talked about the psychosphere, how you particularly. Mm. You yeah. how particularly might be involved with it. Yes, there just seems to be a dimension that is not limited to physicality and the physical manifestation of molecules and muscles and bones in our body self. There seems to be another place um, where we dwell in this life and where we can interact and contact each other. And that sort of longing or yearning to connect draws the physical self towards the other person who might be also longing or yearning to connect that there's some sort of meeting between two beings who have a presence or a draw and then the physical self just kind of pulled along in the wake of it it's sort of coming as an afterthought and the body's just catching up to something where consciousness is already connecting ahead of us ahead of physical reality very good very good and the when you in the contemplative science uh, group, how preeminent is the idea of consciousness? Uh, it, I, my impression is that it's mostly a brain-oriented uh, research place, and not so mm. much that consciousness is like the primary thing, as you described it, that helps draw mm. the body to another person or to another place. Yes, we we still don't have the right instruments to study consciousness. We still don't know what it is. It's completely ephemeral. And so at this point, the field is very new, contemplative sciences as a subfield of the sciences. And it's heavily neuroscience and influence because we finally developed the tools, the research methods and the actual equipment and instruments that can show us things about the physical brain. But we still don't understand where the soul or the spirit or consciousness itself may lie and how it interacts with the physical self. So we're just sort of limited by the science we can do now. But I do believe our science will continue to become more sophisticated and learn how to begin to see and measure and evaluate some of these other things that are happening on the level of consciousness. We just can't do it yet. <laughs> I think we're just too much. We're novices as a species um, with studying consciousness in a scientific way. We can only study it in kind of an interpersonal or psychological or intuitive way. Uh, we don't have the equipment to study it in a more quantitative sense. <laughs> oh, that's, that's partly right and partly maybe not. Um, uh, you familiar with the Division of Perceptual Studies? Uh. Right, right. Which parapsychology is attempting to posit what the phenomena are and to study it in all kinds of various settings and in uh, measuring effects and outcomes at least if not the conduit of information and what what i'm trying to do is not just do near-death experiences or reincarnation which they do at division yep. of perceptual studies but do these everyday experiences of coincidences which i think show some of what we're talking about we're coming to the end of this segment um and you are listening to connecting with coincidence with your host uh, bernie biteman md on the x-zone broadcast network and our guest juliet trail
named one of the world's greatest psychics, Elizabeth Joyce is now giving readings worldwide via Skype. Elizabeth Joyce is recognized for her clairvoyant ability to help find missing persons, her analysis of dreams, past life regression work, mediumship, and her accurate predictions. Elizabeth has been a frequent guest on the Exxon Radio Show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, now for several years. For an appointment with Elizabeth Joyce, call 201-934-8986 or Skype at elizabeth.joyce. And for more information, you can always visit Elizabeth Joyce online at www.new-visions.com. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Exposé Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades, there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings. Slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From Out of the Woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www.williamspeckham.com. Welcome back to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, and our guest is Juliet Trail, who, among other things, appears to be uh, a predisposed to human GPS kinds of coincidences. And, and Juliet, we ta- we'll get back to talking about consciousness and how I think um, coincidences are, are begin to be um, indicators of how uh, we are connected through consciousness and that data can be collected first with stories and multiple stories mm-hmm. and the stories mm-hmm. then aggregated to find patterns mm-hmm. and then in finding those patterns it may be a- may be able to uh, discover ways of of measurement um, and the human gps is uh, something that has been measured uh, mm-hmm. it's it got a different f- name it's called the uh, psi mediated instrument 
Environmental Responses, PMIR. <laughs> it's a long name, but mm-hmm. it means that psi influences um, responses that help you somehow, instrumental mm-hmm. responses. A guy named Rex Stanford did this research, and it didn't get picked up much by um, other parapsychologists, but he was president mm-hmm. of the American Psychology parapsychological association and the mm-hmm. human gps follows along with what rex stanford was doing but um please give us a, another one of your stories like that chalice well story in glastonbury oh wow yeah that's a pretty good story <laughs> yes it is so um i uh the background of why the chalice well is important is is also significant so when I was finishing college in 1996, I realized I wanted to, to find um, the symbol for a tattoo that I would get with my very closest friends that I saw as members of my tribe or my chosen family in this life. And I started searching for it, and I didn't find it for 16 years. And when I finally found it, it turned out to be I, – I knew it was the symbol for me before I knew where the symbol was from. So then I found the symbol, and I thought I should do some research. I do research. It's the symbol on the chalice well of this ancient spring in Glastonbury, England. Years before I had been to Glastonbury, England, and tried to find the well with my significant other at the time, Steve, and we never found it. It's not in the city proper. It's outside of it, and it's not clearly labeled, and it's not a major place of um, obvious pilgrimage. It's kind of a subtle pilgrimage. A lot of people do know about the sort of legendary nature and healing properties of the waters of the Chalice Well that have been held by legend for thousands of years to have healing properties and be quite magical. <laughs> and But I had not found the chalice well, so I had not seen this symbol in person, even though I had been in the city and looked for it um, years before, in about 2001, on a trip. And then I found um, this symbol in maybe, I don't know, 2008 or nine in a fairy store. <laughs> and when I walked into the fairy a shop, fairy, a fairy store, fairy store, it was a store and for what? fairy imagery and fairy trinkets in Lynchburg, like, like, Virginia, ah, like yeah. the fairies, like butterflies with human bodies. Um, and I, so I walked in because I went to a fairy store in Lynchburg, Virginia, which is a, a very small, very Christian, very conservative community. I yes, would never expect anybody to create a fairy store and have it and have it not be like glass um, shattered with things thrown through the window for daring to do something that wasn't Christian. So I walked in and it was very magical. And everything about the fairy shop felt like the, my favorite one I've ever been in, which was a fairy shop in Glastonbury, England. And I walked <laughs> up to the proprietress and I said, this shop feels just like my favorite one in Glastonbury. And she started squealing and jumping up and down. And she said, I built this shop because I went there and it changed my life. And I wanted to put it here. <laughs> I can't believe you intuited that it was, this, is, this is the American version of that fairy shop in Lynchburg, Virginia. And I look down the jewelry case. I see the symbol on a ring. I'm wearing the ring right now um, as I speak to you. And, it's the, and I say, oh. That's my symbol. That's the one I've been looking for for, I don't know, 16 years or so since the first time I had this thought. I am looking for this symbol. It will be a tattoo I share with members of my tribe. And it had always been with me, but I had not hurried it. I had known I would get this tattoo. I do have it now. I have it on the nape of my neck. And um, two of my very closest friends, Lorelei and Pam, both have it as well. And um, other members of my friends consider getting it in the future. So it is the symbol of people that are part of my chosen family. And so um, I actually, two years later, was able to travel to England with my mother. And where my mom was born in London, so she is English and hadn't been back for a very long time, um, having married an American 
um, military servicemen when she was young and come to America, and she hadn't traveled back to Europe since that time in the six, late 60s. So very special to be on a trip with her. And we decided to go to Glastonbury. We were in Bath, which is very nearby in England that my mom wanted to see. And she said, well, I know you have this thing about Glastonbury, so let's go there for you. I said, okay. So we get on a bus from Bath to go to Glastonbury. We still don't know where the Chalice Well is. And I don't buy like a, a smartphone in Europe or anything. So I still don't have like map apps at my ready. A woman comes up to us on the bus and she says, my name is Penny. And I think I'm supposed to travel with you today. Are you going to the Chalice Well? And we said, well, we'd like to, but last time I was in England, I admit I couldn't find it. So I don't know where it is. She says, oh, I know it very well. I'll tell you all about it. And I, I will take you there. Wait a minute. So wait, 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 wait. Why did she come up to you? She just, the, the people were getting on the bus um, to, to leave from Bath and travel on a bus to Glastonbury. And, and they're finding seats. And the bus is somewhat crowded. My mom and I had entered early in the line and sat towards the back. And she comes to us at the back of the bus and she says, I think I'm supposed to travel with you today. So she, she, you, was, she was picking up something about you yeah, already. She found us. She found, she found, us. Yes. She found you. And, and that's a human GPS kind of thing. Um, yep. And it's also what I think is uh, picking up um, information around your, uh, in your aura and your electromagnetic field around you. I, yeah. I, I, do, I do that uh, sometimes. Uh, when I was looking at, when went to uh, the McGuffey Center for Laura Lee's um, uh, art thing. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, she introduced me to somebody who who was an elementary school teacher, and I, that that was what I knew. And I said, uh, "What's first grade teaching like?" And she said, "How did you know I was a first grade teacher?" So I, I had a yep. predisposition um, teacher, but I picked the right grade without knowing, without thinking about it. It was, it was as mm. if I was had been told that she was a first grade uh, teacher, mm -hmm. and this woman came to you as if she had been told that yeah. she was going to do it. And that information comes somehow. It has to happen somehow. Mm -hmm. There has to be a way to do it. And I think it is picking up information from auras, electromagnetic fields around you, because you were really vibrating uh mm -hmm. <laughs> finding finding the chalice well yeah and when i got to the chalice well at the beside the well there is a group of women praying and they invite me to join them and they're doing a ceremony to pray to heal the world that the world is very fractured and the earth itself is is struggling with um all the damage being done to it by humans and they asked me to join the circle of women and the guide took my hand and i stood my mom wasn't really comfortable with this. It's a little too woo-woo for her. So she was like, you're good. This is your thing. I'm going to go off this other part of the garden and just sit. And I took part in the ceremony praying for the healing of the planet and the earth and the beings on the planet um, with this woman. And at the end, her group dispersed to go visit the gardens around the well. And she stayed. And she said, I'd like to know more about you. So we introduce our, ourselves. And her name is Juliet. And my name is Juliet. And she is a guide who takes women on pilgrimage and journeys, particularly to Glastonbury, um, to the well and to the, the tour, the tower on a hill nearby that's also very famous, um, to do healing work. And I was trained um, in a Native American tradition, the Lakota Sioux tradition, to do rites of passage, healing work around processing one's major life transitions and acknowledging those through going out in nature. So we were both quest guides in our respective communities and we're both named Juliet and we end up holding hands for a prayer I believe very much in, which is the healing of this planet and the beings on this planet, um, standing next to each other. And then her group left to go to the tour. My mom and I went to the gift shop and this woman rushes up to me and she says, are you Juliet? And I said, yes, I am. 
and I'm feeling very strange, but the whole day felt very strange. She already knows my name. And she said, you're the one who leads the people onto the land to do the work, right? And I said, hmm. I do do that work, but I do it in Virginia, in the U.S. I think you're looking for the other Juliet who lives here in the in the region, and she's already gone to the tour with her group for the day. And it was this mother with two sons, and I don't know why she was trying to catch up with the other Juliet. But she first knew I was one of the Juliets, and she sought me out to ask if I was the guide who leads the people onto land. And I'll be leading a vision quest at Wild Rock, a natural area, nature playscape in Crozet, Virginia, this summer. So I am also a Juliet who leads the people onto the land to do healing work. Um, but I knew I was not the Juliet she was looking for. So it was a series of unfolding GPS events um, to have met all of these people on that day. Wow. That is a, yeah. that, that means to me that the Chalice Well is a spiritually high um, place. Uh, there, mm-hmm. there just, there's pockets of these. Even mm-hmm. here in Charlottesville, Virginia, the, the health food store, the alternative <laughs> health food store of Integral Yoga is a place mm-hmm. where a lot of coincidences take place, partly because it's infused with uh, Yogaville uh, consciousness. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then this, this place, and you're tuning into it, um, elevated the possibility. And this is the kind of thing that I think can be studied, uh, not mm. necessarily with machines yet. Well, it's still yeah. too primitive. Right. But not with uh, machines, but other ways. With, but, but just by reports. This, this yep. is medicine uh, uh, proceeds, uh, has proceeded, uh, and still does to some extent by case reports where somebody mm-hmm. gets an idea and then you get a bunch of case reports and then you get you collect them and uh, the collection yields some kind of pattern that then you can figure out a way of testing. And what you just described says Glastonbury and there are other places that have the potential to get consciousness of the people involved into places that allows connections like this that may, wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily happen uh, in the Bowery in New York City. Uh, actually, or even in the, the fairy shop in Lynchburg, Virginia, where I suddenly knew that I was in the presence of somebody also affected by Glastonbury. Exactly. And I was. The and shop owner was affected by the same shop that I can remember everything about that shop when I stepped into it in 2001. It was an incredibly um, vibrant, magical sort of place. It just had this... Uh, powerful energy to it and that was coming, quite beautiful <laughs> and, that, and we're coming to the end uh, of our program and what i just saw in your description was some kind of um, consciousness link between those two places those two fairy shops mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. you could walk into it like fairy <laughs> stories uh, <laughs> but they're 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 connected across time and across across space and you could yep. walk into it so thank you very very much juliet for <laughs> being on the show uh, i'll i'll see you uh when i see you and yes uh, thank you bernie it's great having you juliet bye-bye goodbye Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. 
To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.